From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Uh, if you are struggling to listen to us, I know that our signal's been a little bit on the dodgy side, but you can definitely listen in to your favorite High FM studio shows by going to our website, highfm.com, and that will assist you to uh, make sure that you are staying in touch, because we definitely want to have you being part of the family, and... Uh, it is uh, a Monday morning. Thank goodness it is a little bit cooler than it was. It's been a very, very hot two weeks, uh, and it has not been all that much fun. Uh, but uh, but it has cooled down a bit. I see we have another tiger on the loose, uh, which is a very interesting uh, thing, considering tigers don't live actually in Africa. That's very much more of an Indian and a... Uh, maybe is it even South American? I think of targets are more Indian uh, phenomenon, and yet we have another one on the loose this time in Eastleigh, which is closer to the station than the last tiger, which ran away in Walkerville. So if you are around Eastleigh, Edenvale, uh, Linksfield, just uh, do look out if there are any things with stripes floating around, and if you do see them, please make sure that you call the SPCA so that they can deal with the tiger, because we don't really want a situation in which we have a tiger roaming around. And what are we going to be doing roaming around on the show today? A few interesting uh, chats that we're going to be having. So we're going to be talking about the news roundup, what is going on. So one of the things is going to be the coalition talks and coalition collapses around Johannesburg and Karolini. We're going to be taking a deep dive seeing what are the consequences, what are we going to be seeing going forward. Can we make lemonade out of this coalition lemon, which is definitely what it is? Uh, can can something be be done that will be sorted in, in that regard? So that's the first thing. We're going to be talking about the country of Azerbaijan. If you've ever heard of Azerbaijan, you are going to um, after after today. We're going to be finding out about Azerbaijan and why is it that they are opening an embassy in Israel. And then, as well, we're going to be finding out about milking of lettuces. That's right, in Israel, they're milking lettuces. question is why. We're going to find out. That's all coming up on the show for today, so do continue to stay with us. You can, if you want to be part of the show, SMS us on 34519, or you can telegram us on 0618951019, and we will be very, very happy to take... Uh, whatever it is that you would like to say to us, because that would be uh, a, a great a lot, amount of fun, and uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, hear if maybe you spotted the tiger. That would be fantastic. So do be in contact with us, and we can read out your comments on the show. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. That was Summer Rain by Mango Groove, and we did have a bit of Summer Rain, uh, so very, very appropriate. And uh, interesting to see <laughs> that uh, we went from a wet December to a very hot 
January. Now, let's talk about coalition politics, shall we? The coalition is uh, in Johannesburg has fallen. It was the coalition of the DA, Action SA, the IFP, ACDP, a couple of others uh, that were were running the, the city for some time. And then there was a problem because the Patriotic Alliance, who could shore up uh, the, the coalition, they decided that they wanted two seats on the coalition in Johannesburg and two seats in Kuruleni. And crucially, what they wanted were two seats that they could use uh, for the maximum tendering opportunities. And it, basically, they wanted positions that would help them to effectively give their friends and family uh, contracts for the city and, and, and enable corruption. And uh, it's not just an idle uh, accusation. If you look at the way the Palestine, uh, the Patriotic Alliance has operated it, for example, the Central Karoo, you will see that this is exactly how they operate when they're in government. And so the DA coalition, led coalition, sort of was reticent to, to do this. And without them, they could be ousted by the, the ANC and the EFF together, as well with a bunch of other small parties like ATM and Gubd and Algebra. And so the Johannesburg coalition wasn't able to survive this, and uh, it collapsed. And a new allegedly temporary mayor has been put in. Uh, he is uh, from the Algema party, is a <clears throat> Islamist party, and and he is going to be our new mayor in Johannesburg for, I would gather, at least the next five months until they can figure out what they want to do in Ikuruleni. Uh, now, I think this is a very bad development from a number of perspectives. Uh, Algema is very extreme as a party. They uh, They... Consistently have been accused of sort of anti-Semitic outbursts. Uh, you'll recall that the this was the guy who wanted to rename Santon Drive Leila Khaled Drive. Uh, these are these are all uh, things that that they do, and more than that, they are going to be putting in the hands of, of key politicians, key corrupt politicians, including the ANC and the EFF and the PA, uh, various. Uh, places where they will be able to sort of get hold of a lot of money that should be going to the residents of Johannesburg. Following that, in Ikuruleni, uh, we are likely to find that we will be with an EFF mayor in that city. So there is, uh, it's not good news in the short term. We need to be honest about that and say that this is what is happening. So, so where do we start to think about going forward? Well, the first, let's start with the good news. Although city of Johannesburg is now without its mayor, and Dr. Umpupalazzi, who was actually a very good mayor, she, she was hardworking and was trying to get to the bottom of some of the problems, uh, it's actually a more stable government than it was before. Uh, in, in the previous incarnation in 2016, the city was effectively completely beholden to the EFF. Uh, the, the DA could only run the city with the EFF support, and, and that led to a lot of problems for how they had to operate, and they didn't enjoy it, and it didn't work especially well. So this was a this was a big big concern. This time round, the 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 DA has been able to hold on to the city a little bit longer, uh, not as long I think as some of us would have liked, uh, but effectively, uh, I think that they've probably been running the city for about a month, uh, a year and a half, uh, all told. 
which is a, a better option than last time around. And the reason was is they had a few of these smaller party support. And the good news is is that in the, in the medium term, this trend is going to continue. The kind of forces that are, are running the cities are going to become less and less ANC, uh, and and the support amongst the ANC is going to start to collapse. And so in the in the medium term, what I suspect will happen in Joburg is what is happening in Schwane, right? In Schwane, we have a, 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 a coalition government of the of the DA, the Action SA, the IFP, the uh, uh, the ACDP, and and parties which all kind of sit uh, on the central right of the um, of the of, of the body politic, and they 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 sort of make a noise with one another, but they get stuff done, and the city is operating despite some considerable challenges, including how they're doing spending and, and all sorts of things. So they're having a, a few issues, but it's running, and that's good. And that's probably what's going to be in Johannesburg in 2026, which is the next time we have a municipal government. So it's tough, but it is what it is, and we are there. So so that is that is the case around around Joburg for, for this. More importantly, what the DA has done here, I think, is, is look forward to 2024. 2024 is not that far away. This year is 2023, in case you didn't notice. We're, we're coming up to an election in 2024. And that means that that election is for national and it's for provincial. Now, at the national level, the ANC, it, it's increasingly looking like it could drip, drop below 50% and really put itself under pressure. But in Gauteng, some estimates show it Dropping as low as 30%. It currently is on something like 50.1. And if, if it dropped to 30%, then between it and the EFF, assuming the EFF didn't go up too much more than it currently does, you could actually have a situation which starts to mirror the city of Johannesburg, the city of Schwane, where you have Gauteng being governed by a, uh, by, a, by the opposition. And I think that that would be a very, very good outcome. And basically, the city of Johannesburg was a hard story to sell for the for the DA and for the um, for for the coalition. But it's hard work city; it's hard to run, and they would have preferred to stay in power. But in the absence of power, they have just handed the city, the residents of the city, over to the most useless, corrupt, ridiculous coalition that has ever run the city. And and the ANC is now going to be copped. With every municipal failure, of which there are many, and will continue to be so, for between now and twenty twenty four, unless something very miraculous happens, and um, and so this is <clears throat> a very interesting situ- situation because I think that anybody who's thinking of not voting in twenty twenty four will now be living under a city where they will be made painfully clear what. The consequences of not voting up. And what we hope we'll see is that there will be a drive up in, in voting in 2024 and it will uh, hopefully take out perhaps the most competent part of the ANC leadership. And, and once they remove them, uh, I think that a lot of things will, will start to change as the ANC loses power. And hopefully groups like the PA who've now hitched their wagon to the ANC, voters will see this and they will understand that they can lose a lot by voting for these for these uh, these small parties with no principles. 
so I think that it is a very interesting uh, situation. It's not going to be a fun year if you're a resident of Johannesburg, but there is potentially light at the end of the tunnel. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review, and it is good to have you on the show once again. Very, very cool indeed. Now, have you ever heard of the country of Azerbaijan? Well, if you haven't, you better whip out that atlas and go and have a look. You'll see it sits in the sort of South Caucasus, uh, just near Armenia, Iran, Georgia, that sort of area. And the reason why it's important in our discussions today is because uh, Azerbaijan is going to be opening a new embassy in Tel Aviv, which is uh, fascinating. Uh, Muktaka Manamadov is a veteran Azerbaijani official, and he's going to serve as Israel's first uh, ambassador from uh, the capital of Baku, which of course is the capital of Azerbaijan. Now, Azerbaijan, interesting country. It was a former Soviet republic. And uh, it gained its independence in 1991. And since then, it has been a staunch friend of Israel in the Caucasus region. And what's interesting about Azerbaijan is not only is it a Muslim country, uh, but it is actually also a Shi'i country, which uh, is the sort of minority sect of Muslims, which is... Uh, more predominant in that area and particularly in Iran uh, and amongst Hezbollah and that sort of thing. But most of the, most of Israel's, call it Arab allies, to the extent that we have allies, are, are Sunni Muslims. So it's an interesting Shia country. However, it is also a completely secular country. Uh, so it's sort of the, the religion and the state stuff is, is separate and that turns out to make a big difference. Also, is has an interesting Jewish history. There is still a Jewish community in uh, Azerbaijan, and, uh, and and it's a very old Jewish community. The so-called Mountain Jews of Azerbaijan come uh, from from Azerbaijan, and so it has a, a good history with the Jewish community, uh, and 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 uh, low levels of anti-Semitism and, and this sort of thing. So, it is an important uh, ally, and it is an important country because. Uh, it does represent a, a country in which Israel has had good relations for many years and uh, and is also a Muslim country that has had these relations for many years. It also, it's also a dictatorship. Uh, there's not really many Muslim countries that are also, unfortunately, democracies. Uh, it, maybe Tunisia these days. I'm not sure who else. Um, but nonetheless, that is the case. And... Uh, Azerbaijan uh, is, is an important friend. So, question is, why, if uh, things have been going so well since 1991, so that's about, I don't know, 25 years, right about, uh, are we suddenly seeing a increase in in diplomatic engagement uh, with with Israel? So, there's a few things that um, uh, that, that are, are driving this. So. One of them is Iran. So Azerbaijan is uh, is on the border of Iran, and the Iranians are not always very happy with the Azerbaijanians. They they are kind of considered a 
a problematic entity for Iran. It, it gets in the way of some of what it wants to do. It's not a religious state, uh, and it's so therefore a little bit nervous of uh, of the Iranians. Uh, and so that is uh, something which is is driving is driving them to be a little bit more closely aligned with Israel. Second of all, the Azerbaijanis have a long-standing war with the Armenians uh, over some territories that uh, the one have and the others don't. I don't want to get into it. It's very complicated. Uh, but basically, there is a territorial dispute between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and and although Israel actually is sort of friendly with both sides. Over many, many years, they sold a lot of arms to Azerbaijan, uh, including a number of drones. And I don't know if it was a year or a couple of years ago, there was an incident where it was a sort of like a small war, if you could call it that. And, and, and the Azerbaijanians sort of have now become the first country in the world really to use drones and drone warfare in a sophisticated uh, tactical way. And they used it against things like uh, Armenian tanks in a very effective manner. And this uh, caused them to win the battle. And a lot of these drones were connected to Israeli technology. And so they're very, very grateful for that and the ability to then fend off Iran with with Israeli arms. So those are, are two elements. The other one is the Abraham Accords. Now that there is an Arab supporting bloc in, in the Middle East through the Abraham Accords, particularly through the UAE, uh, it does allow them to become a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit more uh, engaged in the region, and and it can it makes it it seem fine to do things like um, uh, like send an ambassador where they would normally have had uh, a lot of criticism. Now that Abraham Accord sort of like covers this down. Uh, and 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 means that they're not going to get so much criticism, so it's not so bad. Uh, and and then last is Turkey. As Turkish and Is- and Israeli wa- ties have warmed, uh, that has improved things as well. Uh, Azerbaijan has always had a good relationship with Israel, but it's also had a good relationship with Turkey, uh, which is a very important per- uh, group country in its political persuasion as well. Uh, and so now that Turkey has started to increase its ties. It also makes it more comfortable for the Azerbaijanians. So you have a situation essentially where Azerbaijan has for, had for a long time good relations with Israel. This has helped the Azerbaijanians in many ways uh, with what they need to do to protect their country. And the diplomatic environment around them has also improved, whether that's in the, uh, in the, in the cause of the battling Iran or in the cause of making peace with the Arab states or the improved ties with uh, with uh, with Turkey all of these things are pushing the Azerbaijanians to be more comfortable with um with with Israel and uh, and this means that they they are sort of more likely to to want to to be engaged and that's why we are seeing uh, a new Azerbaijanian ambassador in Tel Aviv and interestingly, we actually had, uh, many years ago on this show, we actually had the Azerbaijanian ambassador to South Africa, uh, and he, he came on the show and chatted to us about, uh, about the history of, um, of Azerbaijan and the Jewish community and Israel and what they do in South Africa, which uh, uh, gathers a lot of work around uh, oil and gas, which is sort of quite an important part of their economy. So that is... Um, 
that is what is going on in Azerbaijan. If you'd never heard of it before, then you have heard about it now. And it is very exciting and very, very, uh, a very good thing uh, to see that there is still important uh, improvements in the peace of, uh, of, of that area. And uh, hopefully it should continue. I am uh, Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Now, I want you to imagine for the mo- a moment that you are older than you are now, much older. So old, in fact, that you might be your kids or your great kids, your grandkids, or perhaps even your great grandkids, and that you are going on a trip to the zoo. You're going on a trip to the zoo and you're going to see what is going on in the zoo. And when you come to the zoo, you go through the gates and your great grandkids are running around looking at the animals and they say, please come with me. I want to see the animal that everyone talks about from their childhood, but now only exists in the zoo. And you say, okay, well, let's go along. And they walk and there in the zoo, standing there happily eating on a chunk of grass is a cow. Is a cow. Is a cow. And why would a cow be in a zoo? Is because I think slowly but surely we are starting to make cows obsolete. In the same way that a hundred years ago horses were all over the place and you needed a horse to do basically anything. These days everyone has cars and if you want a horse you've got to be a specialty rider and, and, uh, and, and, and it's not, uh, it's not so, Big a deal to, 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 to have a car, but it is a big deal to have a horse. And I think cows are going in the same way. And the reason for this is twofold. The first has to do with the issue of meat. So more and more uh, people are understanding that uh, meat comes with a cost. Uh, and I don't just mean a, f- a physical cost, cost to the environment, cost to the animals who have to be, uh, you know, grown and, and slaughtered. And all of this is, uh, is difficult to to do, uh, and and has comes with a cost. And yet, vegetarianism as a lifestyle is becoming more popular, but hasn't caught on, I would say, in the mainstream. So that is the first thing. Um, the second thing, of course, is price and the ability to produce food because the cows are less efficient, even though they are sometimes more nutritious when it comes to comes to growing things. So. So cows pose a problem. We need them to, we need them to eat them, but there comes with a cost, uh, especially too much of them can also be a problem. So from a, from a health perspective. So what are the options? So vegetarianism is one option. Another option is to see if we can replicate cows in laboratories for the purposes of food creation. And we have spoken on this show quite a number of times about lab grown meat or meat substitutes and that have been coming uh, thick and fast out of Israel. Incidentally, uh, lab-grown meat uh, is is uh, is a big in- industry, and and even uh, kashrut authorities have started to grapple with what does this actually mean in terms of in terms of how they um, how how does it affect the kashrut of of the of the animal, and in fact the. The, the custard authorities in Israel, they, they designated uh, some lab-grown chicken the other day as being parav. So, uh, in not too long ago, you'll, not too long in the future, you'll be able to order potentially a chicken burger uh, and ask, uh, 
if the cheese on it is parav or if the chicken is parav. Uh, and so you'll be able to have a cheese chicken parav hamburg. So that's the meat side of things. But what about the milk? Because of course, milk is no less difficult for a cow than, uh, than the meat. It still has to be milked. It's still not pleasant necessarily for the cow. It's still very intensive. And so milk substitution products are becoming a big deal. And the way that they do this is actually by milking, believe it or not, plants, uh, milk, milk, milking plants, milking lettuces, these sorts of things. What am, what am I even talking about? To be honest, I mean, I, I did preparation for this and even I don't quite understand it. So you'll have to take it from me that, uh, just the basics, right? Uh, maybe we'll have to get someone on who actually knows about milking lettuces, but Basically, several companies in Israel have now successfully mastered precision fermentation technologies that make animal-free milk proteins from yeast and from vegetables that are indistinguishable from the real thing and which they expect to be on the market within a couple of years. This, Basically, what these technologies do is they create nature-identical animal-free versions of wheat and casein proteins that can be used to produce dairy analogs. In other words, things that are like cheese, smell like, if it looks like a cheese, it smells like a cheese, it tastes like a cheese, but it actually comes from a lettuce. Uh, these foods have the flavor and the texture and the functionality and nutritional value of the animal-based product, but they are, in fact, plant-based products. And this opens new opportunities to develop a full range of non-dairy, lactose-free products that perfectly mimic dairy versions and contain no cholesterol or GMOs. And it's also completely animal-free and have the same nutritional composition as its conventional counterparts and also has high levels of key minerals, including calcium. So what the technique is, and it's been developed over 15 years, is that they select microbial systems that produce the milk protein. Since they've been studying the host organism, they've been able to convert it to produce a high amount of desired milk protein that is identical to the protein made in the cow's mammary cells. The protein is released to the growth media and is easily harvested. After purification, the milk protein is dried into a powder and then is made into animal-free dairy products. It's said that the cow-free proteins are a potential solution for consumers who are seeking environmentally conscious dietary habits by reducing consumption of animal protein, but cannot shake the craving for real milk in a hot cup of coffee or would like to have a cheesecake. It's added that precision technologies can be used to potentially even improve the sense of quality so that it tastes more and more like cheese. And this is what is uh, coming, basically. This company... Well, several companies have got a lot of startup money in the last while, uh, including several millions uh, in funding led by the Kitchen Food Tech Hub uh, with contributions from the Israeli Innovation Authority and several of the big uh, funding organizations. And, uh, and it is a very uh, interesting uh, solution that you will see. And so perhaps in time we will be able to replace both cows at a meat level and at a milk level and the only thing we will need to do from a cow is to go pat it and hear it go moo in the zoo i'm benji shulman and this is 101.9 hi fm this is the new blue review with benji shulman 101.9 hi fm and uh, 
Pushing on towards the end of the show, let's have a nice piece, some feel-good uh, feel piece for the end of the show and the beginning of the week. And it is that Israel CEO Yotam Polisa has won the Charles Bronfman Prize. The head of the Israeli humanitarian aid group is always willing to take on challenges that may seem risky or impossible. And he has dedicated the $100,000 prize to the Israel aid team and the communities that it supports. Polisa is the CEO of Israel's leading humanitarian organization, Israel Aid, and has been named the the recipient of the Charles Bronfman Prize for 2023. And the annual award is presented to a humanitarian whose work is informed by Jewish values and has significantly impacted the world. Polisa is 39, and he joined Israel Aid as a volunteer in 2011. And he led the organization's mission to Japan after the earthquake there and the tsunami that left 20,000 people dead. He also became the organization's second full-time employee and led emergency missions to the Philippines after a typhoon and to Sierra Leone during the Ebola crisis. And uh, working with him on that, uh, he he managed to... Um, help the Israeli government and the Israeli government was actually awarded a prize for uh, from the AU for its work in assisting uh, in the Ebola um, crisis um, Nepal uh, and, and it also did the follow the Nepal earthquake in 2015 and the and also in Greece and Germany in for the Mediterranean refugee crisis and he also helped evacuation of 205 vulnerable uh, Refugees from Afghanistan after the Taliban takeover of the country. And these are all very, very interesting. But for the purposes of our discussion today, he has also worked in Mozambique. Uh, after the flooding there, Israel Aid has, uh, has had a big footprint and has worked uh, in, in Mozambique to assist in uh, the flood victims there and has also worked in Swaziland to help get the population there vaccinated. So, doing a very, very uh, lot of good work and uh, something which I think is very, very impressive and, and, and nice to see. So they have gotten this uh, award and uh, it will be good to see uh, where they go next and what other ways in which uh, helping uh, through humanitarian aid the Jewish world can support uh, what is going on in in the world in general. So that is a good news story. Israel Aid getting uh, an award and more work to them uh, to help. Uh, and hopefully we can see them working in South Africa as well because we, we have a few problems here which we need sorting out. That brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the whole team who puts everything together. And to Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. Fusi on the sound. Senna who overall sees the production side. Mashadi as well. And thank you to you, dear listener. And... Uh, and do keep stay listening and we hope to listen with you again next week on the new blue review because it is my favorite show next week it is tubish fat check you then bye bye